Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Now, I don't know how many of you feel like I do, but I kind of feel like I've been making bricks in Egypt. That's what it's like to preach to a largely empty sanctuary. That's what it's like to try and do ministry without people. And to that end, I want to share what I believe will be some great news with you. And in doing so, I want to bring it to your attention in a way that I think is biblically meaningful. If you remember the story of the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they'd been there for 400 years. And it was there that Moses goes to Pharaoh and makes that grand pronouncement, let my people go. Pharaoh didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that 10 times. And finally, God intervenes. And in that moment, that the angel of death passed over the encampment of the Egyptians, that the children of Israel were actually set free. But they were not set free to go immediately to the promised land. They were set free to go across the Red Sea to be delivered directly into the wilderness. It was dry and it was hot. And they would spend 40 years there. Now, I want to speak to you very directly. I pray that we are not being delivered into the wilderness per se, and I surely pray we're not going to be where we're going to be for 40 years. But to that end, church, uh, the Los Angeles County Department of Health has made it known to us last weekend, we actually confirmed these things, Uh, that we can now have live services, provided those live services are outside. And so we are going to be setting up our sanctuary as we do for our Easter sunrise in the east parking lot. And we will have an ability there to actually be able to praise the Lord, to sing with a loud voice unto our God. Amen. Uh, But we have several things that we will have to do, even though we're meeting outside. And so beginning next Sunday, uh, 9 o'clock and 1045, uh, we will be having live services here outside at the church. And to that end, we have several things we need to discuss about those services. Number one, you, you will have to wear a mask. And I want to just emphasize this. This is a state requirement. It exists everywhere in the state. Uh, so don't come and think that you don't have to wear a mask. You can, ladies, dress it up. Bring a scarf. You can wear any kind of mask you want. Uh, you can wear a neck gaiter. You can wear a surgical mask. Pray it's not a N95. Those are for medical personnel only. Uh, but we do need to have a face covering for everyone who's in attendance. You can also bring your children uh, to these services. We will mandate six-foot social distancing. That means that if you come in your family group, you can come with up to 10 people sitting in exactly the same close proximity one to another. So husbands and wives, husbands, wives, children, husbands, wives, grandparents, people who you have been around during this time, you can sit together with closely up to 10 people. And so we'll allow for groups of 10 and groups of two and groups of four and groups of six and groups of eight, as many as 10 and as few as one, because you wouldn't be a group unless there's at least you there. And so you'll be able to sit together with those that you've been close to this whole time. Um, we will then provide full sanitizing between services. We're going to wipe down the chairs. One of the reasons that uh, we think this will be effective is we will have plastic chairs so we can wipe those down very quickly and make sure that you are safe. Um, but there are no exceptions to the mask rule. And I want to make this clear. We know that some of you feel like they're unnecessary. Some of you feel like you would die without one and everything in between. We will be requiring them. Why? Because our church attorney... 
our insurance company, and our mortgage company all have said the same thing. No masks, no service. It is a requirement. So don't come with the doctor's exemption. Don't come with your particular bent about whether you want to or don't want to. Come prepared to serve others and to love others by wearing a mask so that everyone can be safe and we can make sure that everyone uh, is in the same exact position. We can then prefer one another, as the Apostle Paul said. Uh, To this end, we're going to have 1,300 chairs set up for each service. Uh, That is the maximum that we believe we can get into a reasonable distance with our outside stage, outside sound system, and our our portable stage and lighting that we have for Easter sunrise. Uh, We will also be having Thursday night service at 7 the same way. So if you want to come to an evening service, not this coming week, but the week after on Thursday night, 7 o'clock in the parking lot. We do have to ask you to do one thing. It's going to be a little difficult. You must, I repeat, you must sign up. So please go to ccsouthbay.org forward slash RSVP and sign up. You do not need a ticket, but you do need to sign up. We're going to use the honor system. We're going to simply ask you, did you sign up? Um, Please only come to the service that you've signed up for. And here's the reason. The county may ask us for those records because they don't want to see overcrowding in the area that we've designated as our outdoor sanctuary. So please sign up for either the 9 o'clock service or the 1045 service. If we have to add a service because those two fill up, we will actually go earlier at 715. And that is to keep people from sitting in the noonday sun. So please do get signed up. That will be our way to let us know. Uh, If we need to add another service, it will be earlier, and we'll announce that throughout the week. Uh, You can sing your heart out outside. We are only uh, not allowed to do that indoors. Outdoors, I pray that we fill the parking lot up, and it is so loud that people wonder what's going on outside. Uh, But we have much to be thankful for. The Lord has been ministering to me personally along those lines. And so I would just simply say, come prepared to meet the Lord. Come prepared to share in fellowship as best as we can. Um, I also would want to tell you that um, please bring your own water bottle. If you feel like it's going to be a little hot, if you want to bring an umbrella, do that. Uh, Keep it down so people can see over you and, and around you. Uh, we, we actually want you to be blessed. We want you to enjoy the service. Uh, it's our first time gathering together corporately in four months, and so let's make it wonderful. We would also ask you to stay home if you've been sick. If anyone in your family has been sick, if you've had a fever that's over 100.2, please stay home. Uh, If you're over 65 and of poor health and you feel like it might be an issue, if you're undergoing things like chemo, you have COPD, diabetes, these things are widely known to us. We've been hearing the same story for months now. Uh, If you're in those categories, you're uncertain, you feel like maybe this is not for you, then wait a while longer. We're, We're going to be back here in the sanctuary, but we can't get there just yet. We want to do what we can do and not complain. Remember what the children of Israel did. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They got delivered. They went into the wilderness. And the first thing they did was disobey God and begin to whine and complain. Let's not do that. Let's let's obey God. Let's exalt the Lord most high. Let's praise the king. Let's not complain about the manna. Let's not whine about the water. Let's not cause the tree to be thrown into the bitter springs. Let's enjoy the living water that we have been given. Uh, If you have an immune suppression disorder, if if you have HIV, you have AIDS, you're you're undergoing some type of uh, serious health issue, we would ask that you would stay home a while longer unless you are absolutely concerned that you're going to be uh, okay. Our health your health, especially your health, is of prime concern to us. Now, I want to give you a few things that we would ask you respectfully not to do. These are the do-nots. These are the no-nos. These are the um, no-exception things. While you're here on grounds, please do not remove your mask. Um, that is for the safety of others. That is not for you. It's for those around you to feel safe. You notice I'm not wearing one. I also do not have a person within 30 feet of me. There will be no hugging. There will be no handshakes. You're going to need to do that virtually. Why? Because there are 
two things principally that's been linked directly to the spread of COVID. And if you don't know this, we had our largest increase in this state that we have seen since this started yesterday. We are seeing radical increases in hospitalization and especially in ICU hospitalization. And so we're going to be safe. We feel we owe that to you as the body of Christ to prefer you to to do the best we can. So no physical touching outside of your family group. Please don't bring an argumentative spirit and ruin what the Lord would do. Do not bring your conspiracy theories. And there are two extremes to them. There are those that think this is some kind of chimera that's been made up by the likes of Bill Gates to destroy the country. And there are those that feel like this is either the Democrats or the Republicans have, you know, somehow leveraged this to to their own nefarious ends. In Jesus' name, only come here if you want to praise the Lord. Only come here if you want to be a part of the body of Christ. Don't come here to spread some kind of silly stories that are unconfirmed, unverified, and personally, for me, they're just simply not Christ-like. So please don't bring them here. Don't discuss them here. Don't bring negativity here. We've had enough negativity being locked up and locked out, amen? So why don't we rejoice in what we do have rather than worry about what we don't have just yet? Let's rejoice that we are in the wilderness and heading to Canaan. Remember, that's where they were supposed to go. But let's not be like the children of Israel that get to the border and we stand at Kadesh Barnea and we look in and we go, oh man, there's giants, we can't go. I I do not want us to be uh, dependent on Joshua and Caleb going and being the only ones with enough faith to go in. So let's take what we have and let's rejoice in what we do have. And I will see you here in the East parking lot next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, 1045, if necessary, 715. And we are going to rock the outside with the praise of the king and the study of his word. Amen. God bless you. We're going to see you live next Sunday. All right. We do have a few people in here. So if you heard applause... We'll have as many as we can get in here next week. Amen? We came to study God's word, did we not? Uh, And so let's take out our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to take verses 51 to 62 in a study that I've entitled, Two Questions. And the reason I've done that, there are two principal questions. The first question is a question really uh, of a dispensational uh, need of a dispensational understanding of what we would call as an economy of God. And it's so important that we understand while God's moral character, his holiness has never changed. What God was in the Old Testament, God still is in the New. How God viewed sin in the Old Testament, he still views it the same way in the New. In evangelical Christendom, we would call uh, how we see God relate to people a dispensation. We today sit under the dispensation of grace, the economy of grace. God relates to us by grace through faith. That is a free gift. During this day and time, that dispensation of grace was about to come, but it had not yet fully arrived. It was on the horizon. And so we see Jesus now with the disciples unveiling his true intent as he sets his face on Jerusalem, the cross, and the purchase of our grace at Calvary. Would you join me and let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you're going to allow us to have some fellowship together that we'll be able to meet next Sunday outdoors and praise your name as, as a group collectively. But Lord, we've come this morning, though it be virtual, uh, to study your word, to grow in Christ and to be encouraged in our walks. And so we pray uh, that you administer to us now through the power of your word to change us, Lord, to make us more into the image of you, Lord Jesus. Do that, please, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 51, Luke 9. And now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, so this is obviously a reference to the Lord Jesus 
dying on the cross and being received back up into heaven. Remember, he was the child who was born, but also the son who was given. His actual real home was heaven. He came to earth. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's here. He came for an express purpose, but he would be received back to heaven. He would give up his life a ransom for many, and he would then say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was going to go back up. It came to that final week. We are now approaching Jerusalem. We're approaching Passion Week, that middle of verse 51. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This was the reason Jesus came. Sometimes I I, I listen to people as they discuss their theology, and they give all kinds of, quite frankly, very silly reasons why Jesus came. Jesus came to die and give his ransom for many. That's why he came. The scriptures are actually clear on this. He didn't come for social reform. He didn't come to change the governments of the world. He came to die to give his life a ransom for many. He came to give up his life that we might have life. It is the reception of that gift of grace the dispensation of grace that would come that is the transformative power in our world to this day. Christ can fix what is wrong with our nation. Christ can fix what is wrong with our world. But Christ did not come to fix all the social problems. Matter of fact, he went so far as to say that the poor you will have with you always. So poverty... Jesus acknowledged was going to exist. That wasn't the actual problem. The problem is the condition of man's heart because of sin. If you fix that problem, everything else will fall into place. But if you don't fix the heart problem, then you will never have a solution to any of the rest of the problems. Verse 52. And he sent messengers before his face. That's a way of saying before Jesus' physical arrival. People used to say, when I see your face, that's when I know you're there. Today, we can look virtually. We can FaceTime. You can pull out your phone and talk to someone somewhere else in the rest of the world. During this day and time, to send someone before your face meant to see that person physically. And as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans. Now remember that Samaritans were considered by the Jewish people not simply to just be inbred or half-bred. They were part Assyrian and part Jewish people. They were the result of the Assyrian conquest that we've been studying as we've gone through the book of Isaiah, the book of Hosea, the book of Amos, all written at the same time, roughly, And so the Assyrians, one of the ways that they captured nations was to kill all of the men and then have children with the women so that those that were left were no longer ethnically pure. That was the Samaritans. And so the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They were a reminder of the destruction that came under the Assyrian onslaught to prepare for him. It says of Jesus, they went, in essence, to prepare for the arrival of the Lord. But they did not receive him. Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. You see, sometimes we think that Jesus should be one way versus another way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. If you want to define the man, the method, the mission, that's it. He came that we might have life. He wasn't caught up in this Samaritan problem. He was on his way to give his life. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, now I love this. This is how messed up church can be. This is how messed up we can be in our interpretation of Scripture. This is how you can become like the Westboro Baptist Church, or this is how you can be like those guys that stand on the street corner at PCH in Vermont with their signs that say, 
repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You're going to hell if you're gay. This is how you get there. And they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? In other words, Lord, because they haven't received you, should we kill them? You cannot kill people into the kingdom. You can't destroy the ones for whom Christ died and hope to show them the love of God, which is his supreme characteristic. You, you will never be able to beat people into the kingdom. You cannot crush their spirits into the understanding of forgiveness. That's why those signs don't work. People look at those signs, they want nothing to do with that Jesus. No one's going to get saved because somebody stood on the street corner and said, you're a fag, you're going to hell. Excuse me for being blunt, but I'm sick to death of Jesus being misrepresented. Jesus would never do that. Ever do that. He's not going to try and destroy the very ones for whom he died. That causes no one. It is his kindness that draws men to repentance. It's his love. The disciples had it wrong. It's like, Lord, let's kill them so they can be saved. But he turned, and this is what Jesus did. He rebuked them. And if I just gave you a rebuke, receive it. Believe it, hear it. If you're one of those people, if you think you need to beat people into the kingdom, you, you need to change your tune because it's the wrong tune. It's not the song of the king. He rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, James, John, that's not who I am. That's not me. That's you. You want to kill them. You want to fry them. You want to burn them. That's not me. I want to save them. It's one of the interesting things about the life of Jonah. Jonah was so convinced that if he went to Nineveh, the Ninevites would get saved. That's why he didn't go. I think sometimes we don't want people to be saved. It's, it's like we, we have so much pent-up anger towards other people that we're unwilling to share the goodness of the Lord with them. Church, we need to love like God loves. Receive like Christ receives. Notice verse 56. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, now I want to share with you, the fullness of the dispensation of grace was not yet come, but it was very much on the horizon. You, you see, they were about to enter a new age. They were about to receive the fullness of the new covenant. That's a new way of thinking that would bring about new life. A new way to relate to God. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in destroying people. He was there to save them. He didn't want to consume the wicked. He didn't come to bring wrath at this time. He came as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is still speaking as the lamb. Will the wrath one day come? Oh, you better believe it will. That economy will change because when the king comes again, he is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah and he will have a sword coming out of his mouth and he will consume with fire. But it is the age of grace today. It's a time when we can still reach out to people who are desperately hurting, desperately in need, wickedly in sin, and offer the hope of heaven. Why are we not doing that? Why have we come to this place to where we, we, we approach people as though there are bitter foes? Well, you know, they're not Christians. 
Well, duh, and neither were you at some point in time. We need to reach them with Christ's love. They don't need to be beat into submission. They need to be loved to the cross of Christ wherein they can receive forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Jesus is warming up. I, you know, we've got baseball coming. Amen? It's going to be weird. I admit it. You know, let Chico hit. I, I'm all for it. Spring training is technically underway right now. You can imagine Jesus in the batter's box. He's about to hit the home run of all home runs. He's going to drive it over the left center wall, and it's going to go out of the park at the cross. And so he sends the disciples, look, go prepare the way. But who did they come to? They came to the modern city today that would be Nablus. They're going to make this 65-mile journey. They're going to take the inland route instead of going down along the Jordan River Valley through the wilderness of Perea. But they're about to head to Jerusalem. And so taking the shortcut, they go through the very place you would expect no one to receive anyone who is Jewish. Jesus didn't skirt through to the easy places. He always went to the hard places. He offers the gift of life to anyone who will receive him. And as you look at this region today, it's tragic. It's in what is, a, is now known as the West Bank, this, this city that Nablus is actually the, the organizational headquarters of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. You see, this is an area that still to this day is very much anti-Jewish, very much anti-Christian. It was the, at that time the seat of the Samaritans, and they had actually built a counterfeit temple on the top of Mount Gerizim, and they called that Mount Zion. They were actually in competition with Jerusalem, if you want to look at it that way. And if you go there today, you'll actually see the excavations of this, this temple. But during that time, the people there still had a fixation about what this meant to the Jewish people. This was where Abraham lived. This was the, between these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount, and, and Mount Gerizim was Shechem. This was the home of Abraham. This is where Jacob buys the plot of land. This is where he will be buried. This is where he dug the well. This is that place. This this is where you would expect someone who was Jewish, who was bringing redemption. If you wanted to bring redemption, this was an area that needed redemption. It's amazing to me how many Christians feel like they've been called to Barbados. Or they've they've been called, well, you know, I got called to Mammoth Lakes. No, you didn't get called. It's just easy there. It'll be nice. You can go lobster diving. Jesus went to the hard places because there were two mountains. There were two choices. Exactly as Deuteronomy 11, verses 29, and really all the way down through the rest of the chapter, it says, now it will be with you when the Lord your God has brought you into the land Again, where are we? We're going from bondage in the lockdown to the wilderness in the parking lot, hoping to get to Canaan, uh, hopefully back here in the sanctuary. There's, there's a similitude here for us. There's a simile that's in view for us. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And Joshua would would repeat this in Joshua chapter 8. According to this, the Israelites were to recite the blessings of the covenant on Mount Gerizim and the curses of the law on Mount Ebal. Do you see the two dispensations? Being, Being free in the blessings of God through Christ Jesus. And the law was a curse, exactly what the Apostle Paul said. Look, the law was a tutor it was a schoolmaster and it was a harsh one the law could never be kept it wasn't even ever 
designed for man to keep it fully in that sense. It was to show us how far off we were. And so here you have these two mountains and Jesus passes right between them. He says, look, there's two choices. Do you want blessings? Do you want cursings? Do you want grace? Do you want the law? The apostle Paul would pick up on this theme. It's like, look, what do you want? You choose the mountain you want to live on. Do you want to live on the false mountain? Or do you really want to live in Zion? Church, we have a choice right now where we live. We, we have a choice how we respond during this time. And we can either be obedient and live in blessing, or we can be disobedient and live in the curse. We cannot pay attention to the things of the Lord and we can receive what the fruit of that is. Or we can say, Lord, bless me. Pray that prayer of Jabez. Bless me indeed, God. You see, I think the church right now is kind of waiting for something to happen instead of seizing the opportunity to be on one mountain versus another mountain. Let's choose what mountain we want to live on. Do you want to live in the blessings of the Lord or do you want to live in the curses of trying to make it your own way? Because that's truly what the Jewish people did. They made up their own rules. They didn't take the law and say, well, let's do what this says. Well, we can't do that, so we'll change that and make it say what we want. That's the world we live in. We need to go to Mount Gerizim and be blessed of God. We need to say, Lord, let us live in your presence. Lord, you take mastery over our lives. Lord, whatever you say, we will do. Interestingly enough, between those two places was Shechem. That's where Abraham pitched his tent. That's where he built his altar. Church, you you can live between the two mountains or you can live on top of the mountain. Your choice. The Samaritan temple has not been rebuilt. You can go visit it today. But people still worship there. You you see, the Jewish people still are banned from that area. Matter of fact, in the year 2000, the the tomb of Joseph was, was desecrated, destroyed. Jacob's well, also, same thing. And what Jesus is saying, look, grace is going to come, and it will come to the Samaritans. But let's keep focused on what we're here for. Let's do what we're actually called to do. The church gets so caught up in these things that we have not been called to try and fix. I have been called to preach the gospel and teach the word. That's what I've been called to do. The church is supposed to be a bearer of the good news of the gospel. We have not been called to get engaged in all these conspiracy theories to spend all day on the internet trying to figure out why Bill Gates is now the Antichrist. The church is getting distracted. We need to get refocused. We need to do what Jesus is doing here. Jerusalem's that way, and that's the way I'm going. I'm going to pick up my cross and follow him. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. I'm not going to worry about the results. The church has become so results-oriented that we worry about the results instead of the glorification of the king. Let us glorify the king. Let us be what he's called us to be. And so they moved to another village. The word there is heteros. It means of a different kind. Another place, in other words. It wasn't just some other Samaritans. It's like, we're going to go where we can plant some seed. You see, the dispensation of grace would come. And so first, we have a dispensational question. The second question is a question of our discipleship. It's a discipleship question. Notice verse 57. And now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, 
I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I want you to take a look at the three people here, the three problems here, the three considerations here, the three questions of how you are going to follow the master. You see, the word disciple means to sit under the tutelage or to be under the study of someone else. A follower. You could even say apprentice is a, is a similar word. Notice the discipleship question, question two. And now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is telling him the cost of discipleship. And then he said to another, follow me. But he said, well, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and work on all the problems the Romans have brought into the region. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, no, you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you too. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. In other words, I don't want to be a poor host. I don't want people to think ill of me. I I don't want to be perceived as that guy. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's unwrap this. You see, we're going to be taught about the character of our discipleship and also the cost of our discipleship. Look at the first thing that we see here. You see, there is first a financial consideration. People make this decision every day. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I can keep working at this strip club and be a Christian. I don't know if I can keep being a bartender and really profess Christ. I don't know if I can keep lying about these things, selling goods that I know are not good, but I'm making a living at it. You see, there are financial considerations you will have to make. There are things you will need to quit doing, in other other words, to be a follower of Christ. You can't keep the sin and be a disciple. You can't knowingly do what God does not want you to do and say that you are following Christ. And one of those ways, and it's certainly envisioned in our day, we can see it, it's there, and that's this financial consideration that we see here in this first guy. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but you know what? If you're going to follow me, I don't even have a home. In that sense, Jesus was a homeless man. I'm not saying you can't have a home. I'm not saying you can't have a car. I'm not saying you can't have money. And the Bible does not support that either. Matter of fact, you can be quite wealthy and still serve the king. But if the financial considerations are so great that you will not go and will not do what God's called you to do, then the financial considerations have to be gotten rid of. You, you can't keep something that competes with Lord Je- the Lord Jesus himself. It appears that this man, uh, because Matthew tells us so in chapter 8, was fairly well-to-do. That he was maybe a scribe. He might be in what we would call the upper middle class. What are you willing to give up? What cost are you willing to pay to follow Jesus? How do you view, I think the best way to look at this, how do you view your possessions? Do your possessions possess you? Or are the possessions that you have simply in stewardship of the king? If they're still Jesus's, you're good. If you identify and are known because of what you possess, then you have a problem. 
The second thing that we see here is what we might call uh, a family consideration or the consideration of close relationships. Notice there, verses 59 to 60, looking over the crowds, Jesus is looking at him, he picks out this man, he says, to him specially, follow me. And the first thing the man does is give Jesus an excuse. I can do it tomorrow. Next week, next month. And I want to flesh this out a little bit for you. And I don't mean flesh as in your flesh, but to put the skeleton, the sinews, the muscle, and the skin on it. To look at this the right way. You see, Jesus is basically saying to this man, I want you to sign a letter of intent. If you're a college athlete, one of the things that you'll have to do if you're going to receive a scholarship is you're going to have to sign a letter of intent. I intend to come to your school. I intend to be on the football team or on the basketball or baseball team or the swimming team or the water polo team. I'm going to come. I'm going to sign this, and I will do everything in my power to fulfill what you have given me the scholarship for. We call that a letter of intent. It is a sign of loyalty. And because of that, the college is going to spend a whole lot of money to pay for your education, to pay for your room and board, to pay for your travel, to do all kinds of things for you so that you can play sports and also get an education. Hopefully get an education and play sports would be a better way to look at it. Why am I saying this? Because this man is resisting for a reason. He has a family consideration for a reason. You see, in Jewish tradition, there would be a period of mourning that would go on for 10 days. It was not until the end of the 10 days that the will was read. That people got what they were going to get. And if you weren't there, you got a goose egg. And Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to sign the letter of intent. I'm offering you this, and I want you to come right now. I do not want you to compare it to what you might get from your family inheritance. It's all or nothing. It's come right now. You see, this man had an issue of his passions. Where are your passions today? Where are your passions? Are your possessions ruling you? Are your passions ruling you? Or is Jesus ruling you? The third man. And we might call this a formality or a formal consideration that can totally be a hindrance to being a real disciple of Christ. So he asked this other guy, another volunteer, by the way. Jesus is not going, hey, you got to do this. He says, I will follow you. But I want to go to my house and bid farewell. I don't want anybody to think that, you know, I'm not this solid pillar of, the, of society. He cared about what other people thought more than what the king thought. He cared about his position in this life and not about where he would be in the kingdom. And again, I'm taking these to an extreme view, but I'm doing so for the purpose of illustration. It's like, if you let your position get in the way, if you let your passion get in the way, if you let your possessions get in the way, then you are going to have a very difficult, if not impossible time, actually following the Lord Jesus. There can't be anything in the way. Following Christ is an all-or-nothing proposition. It's not half in, half out. It's not 60-40. It's not 70-30. It's 100% Christ and nothing else. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have to give up every position. It doesn't mean you're going to have to give up all your passions. It does not mean you're going to have to give up all your possessions. But it means if those things are first and Jesus is second, third, tenth, or last, you can't be a disciple. You now have a competing God. That competing God is your passions. That competing God is your position, as this last man evidenced. Look at what he's doing here. He's saying, look, 
I, I, I got to go back and see what I might get out of this position I used to have in my community. Church, we've been called to pick up our cross and follow Christ. Whatever it is we need to pay, we pay. Whatever we give up, we give up. No foreign gods, no competing thing. That is exactly why 1 John chapter 2 says what it says there in verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things of the world. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy your car. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy your house. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy a vacation. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy having some resources. It doesn't mean any of those things, but it means don't love them. Don't hang up your identity in that stuff. Because you'll never answer the dispensational question correctly, and you surely will not answer the discipleship question correctly if you have a false god that lives between two mountains, or you have picked a narrative for your life that says, well, my possessions are first. My position in life is first. My, my, my passions, those things that I'm supremely caring about, well, they're first, and Jesus, you can have some place, but not the seat of honor on my heart. Church, these two questions we all have to answer. I have to decide whether I want to walk in the blessings of God in obedience or whether I want to always have issue with God and walk in disobedience and, and thereby suffer what he says he will, he will do because he loves us. He chastens those whom he loves. He's faithful. He, he's going to correct us. You see, John would go on to say, do not love the world or the things that are in the world for anyone loves the world. Check this out. The love of the Father is not in him. If your prime passion is your possessions. If your prime passion is passion itself, if your prime passion is your position in this world, then the Bible says the love of the Father is not in you. In other words, if you have another God, Jesus is not first. That's the discipleship question. So are you going to live on the mountain with God? Is he going to be first? Two very simple questions. You, you can, here's the good news. You can make a change today. You can make a change today. Maybe Christ has not been first in your life. Maybe Jesus has been an additive in your life. Maybe you kind of want the things of the world and you want to keep Jesus a part of your worldview. Jesus is saying to you, I want to be first. That's the discipleship question. Let him be Lord. We say Jesus Christ is Lord for a reason. Lord means master. He is to me my Yahweh Adonai. He is the Lord Most High who is my master. He calls the shots. I ride in the passenger seat. He drives. Maybe for you, that's the decision you need to make. Perhaps you've tried to live in disobedience. You tried to live somewhere maybe halfway up the slope of Mount Ebal. And the Lord is calling you back to the disciplines of grace to Mount Gerizim. Grace that frees you from all your sin. Grace that causes you to walk in righteousness. Grace that causes you to be holy as he is holy. Maybe he's calling you to the mountaintop. Answer that question. Go where he goes. Pick up what he asks you to pick up. Lay down what he asks you to lay down. If you'll do that, there's blessing. And it's so simple to start that journey. You know, the Jewish people, and sometimes we sing it, sometimes we say it. But the Lord bless you and keep you. Notice it says the Lord, the master, bless you and keep you there in number six. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and thereby the Lord give you peace. If Jesus is not Lord, you will not have any of those things. Make him your Lord today. We have pastors waiting online to pray with you. Follow those ABCs. All you need to do is accept him. Believe who he is. Confess your sin. And start that road to discipleship by answering these two questions. I want to live on the mountain of the Lord. And I only want to be possessed by what he wants me to be possessed by, which is him. Amen? Father, we thank you. Lord, and I pray right now for those that are listening online, and maybe there are some that are listening and they have yet to profess you, Jesus, as both Savior and Lord. They haven't admitted that they're sinners and they need a Savior. They they have not received your gift of grace by asking for the forgiveness of their sin. They've not inquired that you might write their name in the Lamb's book of life. They haven't believed on your name and thereby been saved. And so we pray for those that are listening. Lord, would you convict and convince of the truth of these words, not because I said them, but because your gospel is the only vehicle whereby men can be saved. You're the only true king. You're the only savior, the only Lord. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by you. And so God, through this simple means of a live stream broadcast, would you save many today? Lord, would you draw men to yourself? Cause us to live on your mountain of holiness. Father, cause us to let go of anything that would bind us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.